Hey, it's Natalia, and you're listening to another episode of Native Like Fluency. Today, I would like to introduce you to one of my students. My student lives in the UK. He's not a native speaker, but he manages a team of senior consultants. All of them are native speakers. He is a consultant principal at a life science company. If you are in a similar situation and you're asking yourself the same questions, like, how do I motivate a team of native speakers? How do I motivate a team of people who are all older than me and many of them are even more experienced than I am? How do I strike the perfect balance between showing up as a competent professional and radiating human warmth in conversations with my clients and my team? How do I do this in English? How do I inspire people to act with just my words? How do I sell my ideas to native speaking clients? How do I communicate so that there is power, assertiveness, and energy in my words? If you need answers to these questions, I hope the story of Alex can teach you something. We recorded this interview two years ago, and I wanted to show the depth of the conversations we had with students. I wanted to show the beauty of those people. And I wanted to show that whoever is stuck at the same level with the same challenges, they're not alone. There are other people who are grinding day in, day out, who are practicing. And if you feel lost and you don't really know how to practice and what you should be doing, I want you to know that the method exists and the people who practice using this method exist as well. And you can join us because it's so difficult to do it alone and can feel very depressing and demotivating knowing or thinking that you're alone in this because everybody around you says, oh, your English is so good. Like, why do you even need to continue practicing? But deep down, you know that there's so much more for you. It's just there's no school for that anymore. But there's so much more for you, for your career, for your social life, for your relationships in English, especially if you live in an English-speaking country, especially if you're trying to build a new life there. I hope you enjoy our conversation. You need to know that we recorded it two years ago and I can hear my own progress, my own pronunciation, my own speaking patterns have changed over time. And listening to this episode is a good reminder for me of how much I have progressed. All I've been doing is I've been doing the same exercises that I'm teaching you guys. And today I sound much, much better. <laughs> and I know that there is more for me. So let's listen to the interview. Hi and welcome. I'm Natalia. Welcome to my channel. Here I speak about the methodology of achieving native-like fluency. When people ask me what native-like fluency is, I usually say that this is the level that starts when you have accomplished all the other levels. There are no textbooks anymore. There are no courses anymore that you can take. There are no certificates anymore that will tell you that you have attained a native-like fluency. However, you don't feel like you want to stop because it makes no sense to stop. You're already good, but you want to keep going. And it's important to understand here that we don't just continue for the sake of continuing something. We also achieve very tangible results. You see the improvement. You can track your own progress. Performance is key. And today I'm inviting you to join a conversation with a guest of mine where we will be talking a lot about performance and how we apply performance to learning a language and to other spheres of life. Please meet Alexi. Alex. Hi, so good to have you here. Hi, Natalia. 
Uh, I'm Alex, uh, Alexis Savin. I'm a consulting uh, principal and in a life science company, and I'm responsible for overseeing consulting units uh, of the company across Eastern European countries. In my day job, uh, I do help uh, other life science companies in improving uh, their sales performance, mm -hmm. in excelling in operations, mm -hmm. in support, providing support in entering new markets. And what I uh, especially like is when my clients come back to me uh, with uh, some reflections on the impact uh, my team and I made to their re uh, actual results. So it's all about well, results. It's all about it's, it's all, it's all about results. About mm -hmm. it's all about increased sales, market share, uh, reduced costs, or uh, some strategic insights on launching new products or entering new markets. And that also translates into my personal life. Mm -hmm. And I'm a father of two-year-old daughter, mm -hmm. and I am uh, really keen in improving my parenting. Yeah, parenting skills. Parenting skills and my uh, health performance mm -hmm. uh, and in um, achieving great results in other relationships, start, starting with myself, like my own uh, understanding of my own motivations and uh, drives, uh, down to communication skills with other people. I think that's the key here when we talk about continuous learning or lifelong learning, it really is important to establish good relationships with yourself so that you don't self-sabotage your learning process and you understand why you're doing this and what drives you and how you do it best. It's, it's very interesting. But when did we meet? I think it's been how many years? Uh, I think we know each other for uh, four, four and a half years. Yeah, I think it's been like four or four and a half yeah. years. I remember we met when you applied for the public speaking course and you took the public speaking course for non-native speakers, right? Yeah, right. I changed my position just uh, before starting the course. Oh, and I okay. and I realized I needed to uh, have more uh, confidence and more public speaking uh, mm -hmm. skills. Uh, and um, majority of my clients uh, are international companies which speak in English, so... I had to improve not only just public speaking, but public speaking in English. And I joined the course with an intent to gain extra confidence, mm -hmm. extra presence uh, in the public speaking course back then. And um, uh, do you still deliver presentations? I still do the presentations. I think you do them like three times a day or something. <laughs> yeah, I do the presentations uh, a few times a week. Yeah. and. Uh, and all the time uh, with presentations, I realized that I don't need to uh, be more confident of the public, at the, uh, but I'm now focusing more on making an impact and achieving better results from one-to-one -one conversations. I have a well. question now. You say, you're saying, I don't need to be more confident in public. Is it because you already are or you already have enough experience and enough practice? that allows you to communicate with more confidence? Or is that just not needed at all? What do you mean? I mean that I've realized that uh, I really need to think about my, the person I'm talking to. Yeah, absolutely. And I, with this realization, I really understood that it makes 
uh, conversation way more engaging for both parties and way more. So if I hear you correctly, you're saying that back then, four years ago, your primary motivation was just to get more experience and to become a confident speaker in English. And now... It's shifted. Uh, I had a, I recall one of the uh, um, conversations with my clients mm -hmm. when I uh, we worked at the project and we then needed to communicate the results to to a board of clients, mm -hmm. uh, native speakers, and I've uh, communicated great insights, which we was coming from the analysis and from the teamwork. Uh, I've done a couple of attempts, uh, two or three attempts, and then a colleague of mine who was a native speaker uh, just uh, explained the same thing with a, in a more concise and uh, way, which basically, uh, and everyone understood in the audience, so which drove me to an idea that probably it's not the, just the quality of the insights, but also the way of communicating them uh, which makes it clear to to the audience and to the person. Makes me think of what I read recently, you know, what is a good idea? Everybody has good ideas. And there was this line that I remember very well, which says, regular and unremarkable people have great ideas every day, but how much are they worth? Execution is key. Absolutely. So I re uh, with this example, I, and, uh, I just basically realized that uh, bringing great ideas is one thing, it's but not it's not enough. Mm -hmm. It's delivering, delivering in the way that, in a convincing uh, way that clients would perceive them and would basically adopt them in their own business uh, decisions. Is um, communication is key here? Do you mean adopt or adapt? Adapt. Like with an O or with an E. Um, basically uh, make use of them uh, and uh, use them in their uh, own... Uh, so probably adopt. And adopt. Oh, so you... Adopt. 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 adopt yes. Sorry. Adopt. Yeah. Not yeah. adapt. As a consultant, what do you need to do so that clients actually not just believe that your idea is it good, but they adopt them? How do you really need to communicate so that people take action? In most cases, we are coming to the clients with a team of pretty young consultants mm -hmm. and who how young is young in this yeah it's like uh how young is young <laughs> late 20s 30 years old uh, okay, and like when they are in the but in, at the same time they in the in the industry for two three years uh and they talk to senior people who are 20 years in a uh, in a role in the industry they know everything about their business absolutely and when you come uh and you have a project of one or two three months and you talk to people who are like ears in their business, they know everything. You need first to really understand them. What is the setup and the challenges that basically you need to uh, bring some uh, something which they don't know about their business. Even though they've been in this business for 20 years, right? Exactly, absolutely. <laughs> How much time do you usually get to analyze the situation and bring them your ideas, your insights about whatever they need to change in their business? It's a significant portion of uh, of the project. But how, but how long does it take to analyze? It depends on the task and depends on the project, but it might take uh, up to 20-30% of the time to get to know the client situation quite well. And it's also needed uh, for accepting uh, the insights which we will bring later on. 
how do people take these messages? Do you meet, do you see a lot of rejection? How, how easy is it to communicate to people whether it is they're doing wrong? It's definitely not as easy. <laughs> <laughs> but this uh, initial part is critical in, in order to understand, to, un to really get to, to know their motivations, their, mm -hmm. uh, their assumptions they were uh, basing their solutions on. And uh, once people make sure that you know them quite well, then they start to believe you and they start to trust the judgments you come uh, the, you come with. And the quality or the way you communicate and the quality of your communication, I guess, plays a crucial role here. Uh, quality of communication plays a crucial role indeed. And uh, like because, because uh, it's a very limited time and uh, you need to communicate in a quite a concise and uh, an impactful way yeah. that it basically delivers a message across. And this is what you've been practicing lately, right? Yeah, and this is this is uh, this is where well, this is the area where where you can excel and excel yeah, more and exactly. More There's and no that. finite goal no here, yeah. and this is uh, yeah, and because it depends on uh, and the, the um, uh, art of excelling in this basically uh, it depends on different type of people, different type of situations, how to communicate in. Uh, different circumstances that's that's challenging you need to understand what person is in front of you before you start giving some advice right and it's important for you right now to think more about who am i talking to and when we met four years ago i think you were based well, you were based in moscow but you had a different role right now when you oversee um, the market and the companies in the eastern europe you have to communicate more with people from Europe, whose native language is different from yours. And I guess you use small talk and you do small talk to get to know people better, even though not everybody uses small talk with this intention. But can you share some of your findings about small talk? Because let's say for Russians, it's it's just a waste of time. For so many people, <laughs> they don't see a point in small talk. How is it in Eastern Europe? What has been your experience so far? Um... I've evolved uh, with uh, my understanding of small talks all the time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, small talks, it's less about like Russians or other uh, nations. It's more about people who are thinking in, who, who need to operate in a competitive environment versus people when, uh, when versus other type of types of environment. And when you are operating in a competitive environment, you need to you need it in order to kind of win the deal mm -hmm. or deliver a message across you need to really understand the patterns uh person in front of you thinks uh thinks of and for these small talk is basically serves a very specific purpose which of purpose? uh understanding of a person uh background uh, where he or she is coming from and how can I adjust my communication strategies to deliver the message across? That's pretty much it. Gives you a competitive advantage. Yeah, it's, 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 it's it makes perfect sense uh, for me, and uh, and it's also yeah. Uh, the more relaxed person is, uh, the easier is communication is also. Uh, yeah, it just flows better. Flows better, yeah. Because you know, small talk for so many people is just something that we do 
before we start talking about business. Mm -hmm. Some unimportant, and when I ask people to define what small talk is, they actually say this is some unimportant conversation <laughs> before you get to business, before you get to talking business. And people think that small talk is something that you do because you are not allowed to sell straight away. Mm -hmm. So it's something that you say before you're allowed to actually present or demo your thing or start selling. And I think if the intention is this, to kill the time before we actually get down to business, then people really do what a lot of people dread and a lot of people don't like. They ask this predictable questions. Oh, how is the weather? How is the COVID situation? And, and it's the same questions, you know, every, every time. Mm -hmm. And it really gets repetitive, boring, and just not sincere because you feel that a person is not sincerely interested in mm -hmm. making small talk. They just think it's a polite thing to do. Mm -hmm. I think what you're saying is very different. And I have been actually using small talk this way myself. Um, it's, it's your opportunity to understand a person a little bit better, to get to know them a little bit better. How are they feeling today? How do they think? Where do they come from? In what language do I need to deliver information to them? I don't mean English, French, or Russian, but the language of perception. How should I frame it so that they receive it? And what specific pieces of information would be of a greater value for them? Yeah, maybe you should. Usually during small talk, I decide if I should restructure my plan and my presentation completely. And I should start from the from the end, not the way I planned it. Mm -hmm. it's, but it, it's not just the small talk. It's also you see this. You have to be prepared to ditch your strategy and, and change everything on the spot. Absolutely, absolutely. You do this as well, right? I do this as well. And this... Uh, in my kind of uh, presentations, in my uh, business conversations, I do. I, I, of course, I do have, do prepare uh, to prepare a pitch mm -hmm. or uh, delivery results. But based on my understanding of the of the person in front of me, I can uh, skip some of the parts or restructure mm -hmm. my way of communicating that, or even sometimes even put uh, put off some. Uh, a presentation and start just a one-to-one -one discussion on on the um, on the agenda. Yeah, exactly. And I like to decide on the agenda of the meeting together before we actually begin, so that it doesn't feel like we're following my agenda. We actually end this together. But about small talk, I wanted to come back to this and ask you if you have actually noticed any differences. Because trust me, I used to be that person, and I used to have this base assumption that Russian people hate small talk. They cannot make small talk. And we don't appreciate small talk. I'm also a Russian native speaker. And then with time, I realized that it's not really so much difference. If you're a Russian native speaker, if you're an English native speaker, English native speakers also drag small talk. A lot of people don't really know what to say. And it's not really about, it's not the matter of what your first language is. It's more, to me, it's rather a matter of intention. Yeah. What's your intent here? Uh, I agree completely. I just was, was also going to reiterate this intention part. That, and in small talk, uh, in, it's captivating. It's, it's interesting to continue when you see there is an intention to get to know you for, mm -hmm. some, for some other people. And there is genuine interest. Right? Genuine interest, yeah. And you continue. And sometimes it's it's a really big portion, part of the, of the entire conversation. <laughs> mm -hmm. And because it, in Russia, when people do business, I see this all the time as well. So if Business is a very formal part of the conversation. Small talk is something informal. But if you think about the really big deals that are being closed in Russia, there's this informal part of the conversation is always there. Mm -hmm. People probably just don't think it's small talk, but it's always there. 
Absolutely. You, you need to start from something. Yes. And you need to start with a person. That's basically, to me, what small talk is. We start not from the first point of our on our agenda, but we start with a person who is in front of you. Yeah, my experience is that there are people, uh, both in Russia and in other countries, where uh, when they uh, are not really comfortable with small mm -hmm. talks and they try to kind of skip it, to admit mm -hmm. it, and then I just uh, turn it more towards like my intentions and my... Um, goals for for a meeting and why I get to know uh, I get to know them and uh, why I'm talking to them That's so if you you mean if people don't want to do small talk mm -hmm. this is what you do instead yeah it's just it's just a way it's still a small talk but it's a big portion but it's of rather it a monologue on my on my side <laughs> it's yeah it's also sometimes it, it, it depends so it, but pretty much you're sending an invitation yeah yeah yeah. and Absolutely. people like you can accept the invitation you can reject the invitation but you send the invitation to join this informal conversation and to talk yeah and i adjust if people are not eager to talk about themselves then mm -hmm. they are more like to listen so okay that's fine. fine that's fine okay mm -hmm. by the way um you also mentioned uh, preparation do you still prepare a lot for your presentations because you just mentioned that you can just yeah. ditch your plan immediately but how how do you prepare now i still do prepare mm -hmm. and but it's um the focus of the preparation has shifted mm -hmm. and if before i was like going through what exactly what i'm going to say but now it's more about understanding the client situation and understanding what or what kind of components i'm going to uh of my proposal or my delivery I'm going to combine and thinking about the way how I would communicate that to the client thinking about other people from on the client side who might have different views and what kind of objections they can bring to the table and um, yeah but I do still prepare and I sometimes when I come unprepared it still can be uh, like um, not a great uh, discussion <laughs> so even even if people feel that they have enough experience they don't need to prepare for you it doesn't work right for me it doesn't work because mm -hmm. uh, every time a discussion is uh goes in a different direction mm -hmm. it, it's uh, in the, these are individual projects and in individual client situations so you need to come prepared if i ask myself this question do i prepare i think yes i always prepare but i'm always prepared to get interrupted or I'm always prepared for that. Look, there can be a technical problem. Mm -hmm. People can ask a question that you haven't thought of. Mm -hmm. Or somebody might just, I don't know, interrupt the whole meeting. My favorite was, that happened quite often actually. In the public spin course, some students would say, what do I do in this situation when I am all prepared to present my ideas and win findings to the board of directors? And then people look at my slides and they say, What's this on the slide? Where is it from? Where is this number from? And just and she cannot or he cannot follow the plan. They have to stop and explain where, what this number is doing here. Or when somebody, let's say the chairman says, "Okay, let's skip those slides. Let's let's move on." <laughs> and again, it disrupts the flow of the presentation. And a person is just never ready for that. So I learned it the hard way as well that if I'm not ready for interruptions. I can never feel confident, so I just have to prepare myself for that as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> has this happened to you as well when 
Yeah, that happens quite many times. So, and uh, I, my preparation. This is this is why my preparation is focused on, on more about knowing the agenda mm-hmm. of the audience uh, and knowing what are them might might be the challenges of those people. And sometimes, uh, I can even predict some of the questions yeah, of absolutely. some of the people. So. If we are showing some of the results which are contradictory to their previous thinking, there's definitely going to be a question. How do you deal with that? Again, how do you deal with rejection when people say, like, they are not ready to accept your insights? Mm-hmm. Um, in We do build a process in our projects when we uh, deliver the results uh, in chunks, like... Mm. Uh, one piece of uh, the outcomes and then in another piece and then we build uh, the final outcome together with the client and at some point we both both of us come to a conclusion that the only potential option or like potential options might be only this one or a b and c and not d and this is sometimes quite hard to um uh, perceive for the clients at the emotional level, but yeah. it's really uh, hard to uh, deny on the logical and analytical level. So, and communication mm-hmm. here helps to uh, build this trustful relationship and build this trust and the final step, like in, the, in on the emotional level, when you need to <laughs> uh, to make it, and you need some extra trust. You mentioned that your team of consultants is very young. This is a team of young people. Do they all need to have the same communication, the same quality of communication skills, managing their own emotional state, making sure that they can prevent the conflict or that they deliver very, probably sometimes the inconvenient truth or they deliver some intimate, delicate information to a client in a way that doesn't hurt the relationship? Do they all need to learn or to be able to communicate in this way or is it just you and people in the management <laughs> i basically these are the uh skills uh consultants need to learn and that these are for all of the people of course we we, we work in the teams in teams and yeah. these are junior people there are junior people uh more senior people and depending on the client seniority mm-hmm. we adjust who delivers which pieces of uh, of the message. <laughs> Do you believe people can learn the skills in the corporate environment because some people just lack life experience to understand all this, how to communicate such delicate information and how to deal with clients who might get resentful or upset mm-hmm. or, you know? Yeah, but you, in, in, in many cases, you cannot separate your experience uh, from like life experience and corporate experience. Yeah, and- that's- People, people in such situations, when they see a number of cases uh, in the corporate environment, they adopt uh, for their own. It becomes their life experience. It, it becomes their life experience and they learn. And the, they practice and they learn at the same time. They practice and they learn. That's the only way. How are you working on your communication skills right now? Because you're saying your goal is clarity, communicating concise, clear messages to people. What do you do right now to practice that, apart from the fact that you have to communicate a lot in English every day? Uh, I, yeah, I've, uh, all the time uh, I've been 
taking some of the courses from from you and from other coaches on delivering the message i also uh listen to my own presentations from some time to time that also helps to see and some clients or some of my colleagues come, come back with a feedback that was exceptionally good this was that wasn't so good and uh, I listen to the podcasts, the healthcare, entrepreneurship, investing. This is a powerful exercise, actually, to watch a video of your own presentation. This was so hard for everyone to do, and it's still hard for people to do. Those people who are just starting out and those people who are just starting to learn about themselves and about presenting in English. Um, where are you now, like with your English skills? Do you like? Do you feel that it's enough? Okay, you can practice clarity. Is it more about English? Like, is it clarity in English or is it clarity in general? Are you okay with your English skills? Are you doing anything to advance your English skills? Like, mm -hmm. are, you, are you okay with what you have right now? And mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's hard to separate uh, and to, to, just to divorce uh, like the uh, skills, uh, language skills versus like thinking skills. And yes. it, it comes both uh, interlinked. And um, in the consulting communication, I do basically practice uh, thinking, clear, clear thinking and clear communication and structuring the message. Uh, on a daily basis on my kind of emails, presentations. And this is what you do beyond language. It's, it's something what you do. It's some, it's something which I, I'm doing anyway, like yes. in both Russian, English, yes. or any uh, language. But on top of that, i um trying to kind of uh, really borrow some of the good... Uh, I've listened to podcasts, I listen to some, watch some videos, and I try to borrow some of, and even in my conversations with colleagues, I'm trying mm -hmm. to kind of borrow some of the good ways of communicating some complex ideas. Mm -hmm. Something that you would have said differently, but yeah. when you hear how native speakers say it, let's say this example with your colleague who did it beautifully, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe you can borrow something from them. It's actually what I say to all my students all the time, and it comes as a surprise for most people that. At, at a certain point when you understand that there are no more courses to take, right? <laughs> like, a no language school will work with you because they say, you're already good. Just go home. You know everything. At some point, you really have to pay attention to your thinking skills if you want to change your language skills. It's not about consuming more words, more grammar, more content any longer. It's really about becoming aware of how you think because the way we think translates down to how we speak and how we write in any language and if we think in half sentences <laughs> or if our thoughts are very abrupt and not clear this is what we see when people speak they start their sentence they drop it halfway they they forget what they wanted to say and when we translate this abrupt pieces of thought directly into english it becomes a mess directly from our first language so you're basically practicing your thinking skills right now. Yeah, it's uh, basically speaking in a, a, a different language. It's a different thinking system. Yeah, absolutely. It's a different thinking system. And uh, you are pretty much, this is also a scientific fact, you develop your second language identity mm -hmm. when you speak another language very well. 
we will never become native speakers. We're supposed to be born in an English-speaking country to be native speakers, but we can absolutely move to closer to that level, which I call native-like fluency. But I think the result or the outcome is that you really develop another language identity. And when you speak Russian and when you speak English, you sound slightly different. The exercise that you mentioned, I do this a lot myself. When I listen to podcasts, is not just to practice and to listen. The purpose is not just to listen. The purpose is to pay attention to the word combinations that I can use myself because in order to express or communicate this thought, this idea of mine, the way I would have said it, you know, would be probably with my Russian speaking brain, I would have said it this way. But when I hear how native speakers say that and how they express the same idea, I go like, I would have never translated it this way. And it's just useless to translate. I can simply use it and, and apply it immediately in my own speech. That makes your language so much more natural. You sound more natural and you sound very clear. Yeah, absolutely. And I've even been uh talking to kind of native speakers and some uh some sometimes i got this kind of uh you are they are expressing an idea but a little bit wordy <laughs> yeah even yeah uh, you need more words to explain the same thing <laughs> it, it really depends sometimes you need more words in english to explain mm -hmm. one simple russian idea sometimes you need more words in russian to explain one word in english that is just very dense in meaning and you have to, like, translation is not enough. You have to understand the context and what it really means. So if I get it right, you measure your performance and communication by feedback. If people get your message, then that's good. If people accept your insights or if people take action, is that right? Yeah, that's that's true. It's not like a monologue. In most mm -hmm. cases, it's, it's a dialogue based on the questions I spot sometimes that probably I wasn't clear enough mm. uh, in conveying this idea or explaining this concept. So what do you do with those moments, when, when, in those moments when you realize that, oh, I probably wasn't clear enough, what do you do? Uh, when, it when it goes in my kind of business conversations, in many cases, I just trace them. And when I prepare like the next uh, discussion and I uh try to uh, recall such situations like mm -hmm. this uh discomfort which came from this uh, <laughs> and recall that in this specific time i was i wasn't really comfortable in explaining this idea maybe i should work a little bit more about how i would approach it this time <laughs> so this is the way my <laughs> the way i like to do it the way i like to approach the situations uh if i notice that I feel discomfort because I cannot communicate my idea very clearly. And I see that people are not getting it either. So it means it's it's my problem. I have to communicate it better. I have to deliver it better. You can't really do much during a call. You can't really do much in real time because we don't have so much time to analyze, to think, to rethink and to change everything. It's just impossible. You always do this self-correcting work after speaking because a lot of people don't understand. A lot of people think that you have to immediately speak correctly. No, <laughs> you do this work after. But what I do after is, as you said, if I need to communicate it better or differently, I say it out loud always. Because if I only think about it, or if I write a few lazy bullet points about how I need to do better in the future, I will not do better in the future. I will repeat the same mistake. That makes total sense because even the neuroscience says mm -hmm. that these are different modes of uh, of the brain. Like one is a creating mode mm -hmm. uh, when you create something or 
uh, create a speech or create mm -hmm. a presentation. And second is more like editing and or correcting mode. And you, they cannot be applied at the same time. Yeah. So, and uh, I also even notice, and when I'm doing my presentation, uh, you cannot do it and edit at the same time. You can yes. only even do, do it and then edit. The same with the language skills. So you can talk, mm -hmm. but you can approach editing with editing only after, maybe after some time. The same with writing. I think you took the writing course as well, right? This is why. I think I've, uh, I know why I haven't. But the same idea applies here. You write your first messy, ugly draft. It's, it's called the first <laughs> shitty first draft for a reason, because it's ugly, it's messy. But if you think about editing at the same time when you are supposed to just write it down and let it flow, it's impossible. First, you write it down, however messy it is. Mm -hmm. And then you spend your time editing. You're right. The same approach applies here. So many people struggle when they translate in their mind as they speak because they want to say everything correctly now. <laughs> but they also don't really know how to do the self-correcting work after. I've been at this, at this place uh, some time ago when I was trying to uh, speak and correct myself at the same times. Mm. And the natural outcome is you basically uh, stubborn. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you're just stuck. You're just stuck. You're just yeah, stuck yeah. and you cannot do that because it blocks like your, uh, your speech or... And you're giving yourself too much work. Like you can't handle both at the same time. Absolutely. But it's important to know how to do the self-correcting work so that the next time you speak, you improve. You don't repeat the same mistake. I think I got the idea and the idea is that, look, you cannot really tell people what they need to change in their business mm -hmm. unless you understand what they do and what their mm -hmm. business is. When we, if we talk about language skills, I can't really tell a person what exercises exactly they need to do unless or, or before I understand what is this person like, how do they learn, you know, how much time they have. The same with small talk, right? Mm -hmm. You can't really decide how to talk about business before you make some small talk and you understand who this person is. And how does this translate to other spheres of life? Like you mentioned personal well-being, healthy lifestyle, parenting. Yeah. So it's uh, these idea perfectly translates uh, into everything, basically everything. So mm -hmm. if you take um, healthy lifestyle, which is uh, a combination of uh, good uh, eating habits, good sleep, uh, working out. Uh, so everything, everything can be traced and uh, corrected. Uh, for example, when I... At some point, I was postponing, um, like tracing my uh, calories intake. Mm -hmm. And when I started to do so at the beginning, um, it was uh, really uh, uh, slow when you need to check every single, uh, every, everything you eat, you need to check with the calories intake, the uh, composition of macronutrients, etc., and put it in, a, in a writing and I made photos of my of everything I've uh, eaten mm -hmm. during the day uh, so next, to my, next to my next to my palm. I started to uh, realize that my calculations, uh, my my estimates were quite precise with the exact calculations. So I stopped doing this. I, so you I, mean you taught yourself to understand how many calories yeah, is yeah, here I, in this in this meal, right? How many calories is here? You, you mean you spent some time. I've spent, some time, right? I've spent some time with uh, quite a 
uh, a system like uh, tracing all of these. So you meticulously followed that. I followed that pattern but until all, until uh, I started to realize it uh, on kind of quite naturally and so I intuitively know. Right? I intuitively know. I intuitively know about the composition of. Uh, uh, a meal in front of me. How uh, much protein am I gaining? How, how much the protein, <laughs> product, high uh, carbohydrates, and um, and fat is there. So it became intuitive. Before you decide how you need to change your diet, you need to understand first what is it that you eat and how much to eat. So you had to understand how many calories you actually eat mm-hmm. before you started adjusting your diet. Is that right? Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's similar to consulting when you yeah. need to analyze it first in a very detailed uh, manner. What are you eating exactly? What how many calories in this specific mm-hmm. food? Uh, or what is the composition? Mm-hmm. What do you, how oh, does three hundred grams look like? Yes, exactly. <laughs> what does it look like? Right? Yeah. <laughs> Many people imagine it differently. I bet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, first you learn, pretty much you learn about yourself, you become aware of your habits, and then you change them. What did you change about your eating habits after all this analysis? I've uh, designed a a kind of an appropriate or like desired uh, composition of the food, uh, of like macronutrients Mm -hmm. or like total uh, calorie intake. and uh, started to follow and understand if I ate a big plate of pasta mm-hmm. or like <laughs> something that trans- uh, means that I uh, got, I don't know, 60% of my daily calories. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then I, it's uh, just, uh, I can eat maybe a couple of salads. <laughs> so you mean you created a ratio that works for you? Yeah, yeah. So you you don't have to count every calorie anymore but you understand the ratio right i understand the ratio and this works in the longer term yeah this works long term exactly if you overeat one day it's not a big deal maybe this is how i approach my workouts i like uh you know i used to plan every single move like what do i do uh today what do i do tomorrow how many reps but today i take like it i still do it but today i wake up and i know that i have to I will work out today. It's not that I have to, I will. It's not even a question. But I wake up and I ask myself, what do I feel like doing today? And I have a very rough plan for a week. So I want to run twice a week or I want to run twice this week. And I want to do some lifting maybe once a week. And I want to practice my handstand. So, And then I think, okay, how do I put my program together so that I do some stretching, some mobility work, some cardio and some lifting? What is correct here, I think very correct, is that at the beginning of the journey, when you're just starting to understand, to learn to understand yourself, or when you start to learn to um, acquire a new skill, you really need to follow some initial plan meticulously to the letter, kind of, you know, this was necessary, you know? Absolutely. I mean, every single uh, skill, you need a protocol to follow. <laughs> yes. First, you need a very specific protocol for maybe two or three months, then you understand how you learn and how you eat and, and what works for you. A lot of people skip that process and they just say, okay, give me the program that I can apply or give me instructions, but this instruction will not really work for you because you don't really know yourself well. Um, so unfortunately, it's not possible to skip this initial stage where you have to follow the protocol very precisely. But then it all pays off. Yeah, it, uh, it pays off. It becomes your uh, second nature it, and it doesn't really require uh, kind of... Um, 
focused effort and a lot of energy to yeah exactly to keep and to maintain this uh, protocol. This is so true. I call it. Um, it becomes what I usually say. It becomes the new norm. Mm-hmm. And when it is normal to me to eat this way, when it's normal to me to learn a language this way, I don't even think about it. You know, I just do it without on autopilot. Kind of, I don't really think much about it. And as you, you're right, it doesn't take so much energy. Absolutely, it sticks, and then it's like. But then you can continuously improve. It doesn't mean that you learn the initial, the basics, and you just, you can just, it's easier to add on top of this basic knowledge. It's just easier. But when you don't have that basic knowledge, like a lot of people, even advanced students, they're still not very sure what articles are, <laughs> what prepositions are, and, and it's really hard to build on top of that. If you don't understand the basics. Yeah, you kind of shift uh, the span of your attention into a different area. And- yeah. The attention is something which is really uh, needed in yes. modern times. And this span of attention is a really uh, kind of um, resource which is very, is, is, which is uh, limited and scarce. Yeah, I agree with you. So it's attentiveness is, is very important. Attentiveness to yourself, attentiveness to other people, as you said, if you really want to um, improve your communication skills. Attentiveness to other people is key. Well. Thank you. It's been a fantastic conversation. Very interesting. It was great talking to you. And thank you very much for sharing your insights and your experience. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And uh, I also enjoy uh, working with you and uh, communicating with you. It's uh, It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah. Guys, thank you very much for watching the video. If you have any questions for us, for myself, for Alex, please write them in the comments and we'll do our best to reply. See you in the next videos. Thank you so much for listening. You can also find this interview on YouTube. I have a playlist with my interviews with students on YouTube. Make sure you check it out. And if you want to connect with these amazing individuals, join my community of practice. We all practice together in the community.